You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. to have personal responsibility, political accountability, and corporate culpability. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. We must eliminate poverty. I don't care what color the person or child see a glass half empty, but are optimists see a glass half full? Are we locked into regressive mentality by change unseen? If you try to fail and then succeed, which have you done? Do you ask enough questions or do you settle for what you know? The only questions that really matter are the ones you ask yourself. Welcome to Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning to all the intellectual outcasts out there listening. This is a beautiful Saturday morning as we get started with one of our Typical hard conversations on race, sex, and culture. I have two returning guests and one new guest for this morning's discussion. Um, before I let the cat out the bag, I'm going to introduce um, our returning guest first and save our new guest for last, for last but not least, but just again a new voice to the conversations that we like to have here every Saturday morning on the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Um, Mariko Tippett, brother, if I will, I'll start with you. Uh, thank you for last minute jumping on. I know you're going to be with us for the first hour, so if you will, um, introduce yourself. Um, say hello to the intellectual outcast, and if you will, um, give um, your marital status in reference to this morning's discussion. They're going to kind of figure it out if they're a first-time listener, uh, what the discussion question is, possibly just from us giving that background, but I think it plays a little role to clarify the different positions that um, people understand where our guests are coming from, if you will. But again, thank you for being with us, brother. I'm sorry, let me bring you live. Sorry about that. Let me get my guests live here. All right. I got you live right now, Mariko. Go ahead, brother. All right, Mariko Tippett. Um, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. One raised, um, went to the Air Force Academy, uh, did 21 years at the Air Force, and then uh, kind of went into entrepreneurship. I have my own registered investment advisory firm. Um, I started a tech company, uh, and now I'm into health, wealth, and uh, growth for entrepreneurs. But my um, life started when I got to Arizona and I married my wife, who's white. 
Um, and we have three kids that we've raised 20, 18, and 15. So two are out of the house, and the last one's a freshman in high school. I love it. A few more years, you'll be empty nesters. So love that. Thank you again for being with us. As a matter of fact, let me jump to Gina Scores, if you will. Thank you for being with us. I'm glad to have you on. I know you are a first-time guest, but if you will, share your background. We've been knowing each other for years, and um, you are entre- I do know you're an entrepreneur, but you can share whatever you like and also give any reference and reference to this morning's show that makes sense as well. But thank you for being with us. Thank you, Montoya. It's wonderful to do this with you. Yes, my name is Gina. I am originally from South Florida. Um, I was born and raised about in, in West Palm Beach, so about two hours north of Miami, very diverse <laughs> upbringing, which I love. Uh, I am a business owner now. I, I was in the hospitality industry for over 20 years. Um, I've owned my own company over the last eight years now. Um, I'm in the health and wellness space now. Uh, I have two daughters, uh, 17 and 9, and um, they are biracial children. And I know that's what we were talking about today. We're going into that segment, so I'm really happy here to be here to share my side of you know, this perspective. So thank you for having me. No, absolutely. All right, James, you've been on the show before. Well, um, thank you, brother, for being with us. But share any background you would like to give as well. And I know you were laughing at me how I, in a sense, showcased and promoted you this week. Again, not by name, but just I have guests from these different perspectives. So if you will, um, give, again, any background you want to give and just highlight, if you will, your position as we get into this morning's discussion um, race mixing, why do we date slash marry outside of our race to let the cat out the bag? But thank you for being with us and bringing your unique perspective to the show this morning as well. Okay, got you. Okay, uh, first off, I do uh, want to preface that I don't believe anyone should control other people over who they marry and choose to uh uh, populate with, so to speak. Yeah, give me background first. I respect that. You already do that. Oh, I just wanted to preface that because I'm already see I'm outnumbered. So with that being the case, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we go. With that being the case, I believe. Okay, with that being the case, I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs> what is my background? I guess I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, Kentucky is less than 10% black. Um, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm college educated. I'm single. I consider myself to be pro-black or pro-African, uh, uh, pan-Africanist, and I just promote and endorse the upliftment and betterment of African people around the planet. If Love that it. makes any no, sense, perfect. I guess that's the best way to explain it. No, that's perfect. That's a perfect. Yeah, that's a nice sync it up. Like I said, we're going to dialogue through the perspective as we go. As a matter of fact, we got a few minutes before we go to our first initial break. And so the way I like to start the show, and I'll ask all of you to do this just very briefly um, before you get into your deeper thoughts, the way we start the show is just to ask, what was your initial thought when you heard the question worded? The, that particular way or saw it for the first time. A lot of times I'll invite y'all on before I actually have the actual question worded, if you will. Um, but, Gina, um, as the lady on the show, we'll start with you, if you will. Um, just the initial thought when you heard the question worded, race mixing, why do we date slash marry outside of our race? Can you recall your first thought when you saw it the first time? Yeah, I mean, it didn't 
I love to have this conversation because I think if we can see it from different perspectives and hear other people's, you know, thoughts on it, I, I think it does spark, you know, a deeper conversation or a deeper look into, you know, your own choices. But for me, it was like, yeah, let's talk about it, <laughs> you know. That <laughs> sounds good, yeah. I, I, yeah, you know, for me, it's I'm, I've always been very open. So to me, I think it's a great conversation. And I, I know people have their personal, you know, beliefs and opinions. And I respect, you know, from every point of view. So I love, I love no, this absolutely. conversation. No, absolutely. And that's why I reached out to say, hey, could you do it? Because I knew you didn't mind having these tough conversations. Um, Rico, same thing. Just the initial thought. We're going to get into the deeper thoughts after the break. But if you will, uh, when you heard race mixing, why do we date slash marry outside of your race? your honest first thought when you saw it worded that particular way. Mariko, did we lose you? Did you put yourself on mute possibly? Mariko may have dropped off for a second, so I'm going to shoot it right back to James until we can get him back in. Um, let's see here. All right, James, same question to you when you saw when you saw a word at that particular way, race mixing, why do we date slash marry outside of your, our race? What was your initial thoughts seeing the question that way? I, uh, when I first saw it, you and I have already had a conversation like that, and I was like, oh, Lord, he done got me in this, and now I'm going to be picked on and everything. But um, <laughs> basically, <laughs> that's kind of what I hey, thought. That's, hey, hey, that's a real like, first thought. So again, it's the first thought. Uh, so, you know, just go with that. Uh, let me see if Rico has possibly got back in before we go to the break. Rico, are you, you muted? Or, cause I still see you on the line, so I don't know if you muted yourself. Can you yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you. So we got about 15 seconds. So what was your initial thought? Then we're going to go to the break and get into the hot and heavy into the discussion. Just an opportunity to um, break down the barriers and, and, and misperceptions that go along with that. Um, and, and happy to share my experience and my perspective. So. No, fair enough. I mean, um, just so you know, whoever's moving in the background, we can't hear that on the air, so just kind of mute yourself until you stop moving, if you will. We'll be right back. We're going to our first break. We'll, this morning's discussion question, race mixing, why do we date, marry outside of our race? And we'll open up the phone lines to let others jump in as well. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Shout out to Kazimde over at Black Dot Culture Center and Bookstore. Thanks for caring. Be education of the Negro. Necessary conversations on race, sex, and culture. That's my new book. If you enjoy conversations like we have here every Saturday on the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, be sure to pick up my book so you and your family can engage in authentic dialogue. They can learn to navigate the African-American experience. Also, while you're at Black Dot, make sure you grab a cup of Ethiopian coffee and my favorite, the smoked salmon croissant. Visit Black Dot Cultural Center and Bookstore at 6984 Main Street, Latonia, Georgia, 30058. Tell them it's a dialogue sent you. Fifty-four years ago this weekend, the United States Supreme Court struck down all legal barriers to interracial marriage. We've come a long way since then, but as Rita Braver reports, there are some barriers that still remain. Corn and green beans, watermelon. When friends introduced. 
Carlos Brock to Tanya Bohannon in 1996, they both just knew. Oh, man, it was just something about her, the vibe that she put off. I was like, that's what I want to marry. He was really nice. He was different than anybody that I had ever dated before. He was just very genuine and kind. When your parents realized that you were seriously interested in someone from a different race, what was their response? My mother wasn't, she was cool with it, but there's some still today don't accept it, but we don't care. Sorry. <laughs> I still get emotional. It's been many years. Who gave you a hard time about it? I don't want to say, but um, it was someone very close to me that basically um, just disowned me. The Brooks married in 2000 with their daughter Lexi in the wedding party. It was just about being happy with each other. But even today, Tanya, who is a mail carrier, I didn't buy barbecue sandwich. And Carlos, who owns a food truck, what do you want, the barbecue or real? Barbecue. All right. Say there are still places in their hometown of rural Tacoa, Georgia, where they know they are not welcome. And people, even supposed friends, who can make unsettling comments. People always feel unnecessary to say that they're not um, racist, you know, to us. <laughs> and that they don't right. teach their children to notice color or anything. But in the same 30-minute conversation, the man says, but if my daughter came home saying that she was dating a black man, I wouldn't approve of it. Unfortunately, it's just still so normal. But some things have changed in the half century since the Loving versus Virginia case, when the U.S. Supreme Court declared that laws banning interracial marriage are unconstitutional. Felt so great. I feel free now. Nowadays, you can hardly open a magazine Quite the pair. or turn on the TV without seeing interracial couples. English, please. Are you getting married? <laughs> According to the Pew Foundation, at least 19% of new marriages in the U.S. now involve spouses from different ethnic or racial groups, up from 11% in 2000. And the General Social Survey found that only one in ten Americans would oppose a close relative marrying someone of a different race or ethnicity. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, race mixing. Why do we date slash marry outside of our race? I have three special guests on with me, James, Gina, and Mariko. And so played a long cut, longer cut than usual for the initial break, but I felt like I wanted to lay a lot of context. Uh, obviously, it highlighted, if you will, the Loving versus Virginia Supreme Court case in which the Supreme Court um, struck down miscegenation laws, which didn't allow interracial marriage in various, um, if you will, various states. And the Loving, if you, you know, they actually have a movie now, and if you've heard or know of that case, um, they were initially um, imprisoned in Virginia and um, were basically found guilty but allowed to leave the state, if you will, versus staying in prison or whatever. But they basically fought to overturn their actual conviction for being an interracial couple in Virginia, and that took place back in 1961, just to highlight 
uh, the case that they were referencing in that cut. But, um, Gina, I'm going to start with you again. Again, as the lady on the show, if you will, there was a lot in that cut. If there's anything that stood out or resonated with you, we're just kind of going to jump around and go there. But, again, a long cut, anything that stood out, just bring it to, to, our, to, to, our, to our attention, if you will. Yeah, you know, I I find it kind of crazy that the government was even able to interfere into that. You know what I mean? Like, who's to say, you know, who you can love, who you who's your family? You know what I mean? Like, I think that I think that's overreaching um, in regards to just that. But you know, back in those days, you know, that's that was the the tone. Um, I feel like we have come a long way in that space. Yet, though, we are still sometimes rooted into, you know, some other beliefs that many people have. And I, I've experienced it with my own children and being out, you know, out at a restaurant and being not, you know, ignored or, you know, depending on who you're with, which is crazy to me. Um, but it's reality. And I think, too, like the, the government being involved in who you marry or who you love or who you want to spend your life with or, you know, who you live with is is crazy. <laughs> so, you know. Um, but, it, you know, I, I, I think it's um, important that they fought, you know, for their right to, to love whoever they like, you know, they are in, involved with. And I, I think that, that shows a lot of courage because it is, you know, it, it definitely takes not really caring what other people think and, and their views on it. It's not their life to live. So, you know, I, I, I think that we have to kind of stand our ground in where we, you know, how we feel about it you know, the people that we want to involve in our world. And it shouldn't no, it matter. No, it makes sense. Let me jump in, Queen. Let me jump in. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. And so um, I will say, again, that was the Supreme Court, in a sense, striking down because there were miscegenation laws on, I don't think maybe at that time, maybe 16 states still had miscegenation laws, if you will. And so that was the Supreme Court kind of striking it down federally, if you will, and um, speaking of, obviously, different times, just to put things in context, in 1661 was the first time a miscegenation law was put in place um, by the state of Maryland and then other states, in a sense, start following suit, if you will. James, we're going to shoot to you now. Anything in that cut that stood out to you, if you will? Um, regarding the striking down of that marriage law? Is that the question? No, I'm saying anything from the cut, because it was a long cut. So I don't know anything. I just want to kind of see anything that resonated with you when you were thinking about the cut. I was just highlighting a couple of details in reference to, uh, you know, the the, the the case that was said in the cut. So, yeah, it's just anything that you pull out of the gotcha. cut. Well, right? I, was, I was doing some of my research, but basically when I think about those laws, I remember – as you know, I like to study history, and those laws were basically put into place to basically control people and to concentrate power with the white um, controlling class, so to speak, because prior to the colonial period, there was actually a lot of miscegenation. There was a lot of intermarriage between black men and white women, and the planter class didn't like that, so that's when those laws basically came into place. So ironically, those laws um, were done because black men and white women during the colonial period were getting married and creating wealth. And to stop that and to increase the slave population is when most of those laws started. 
So that's something that resonates with me in regards to that. No, absolutely. Um, Rico, I could tell you kind of been in and out, jumping in, trying to stay on the line with us. So um, did you catch what, – what did you catch in the cut that may have stood out to you? Again, we're just kind of jumping around from the different perspectives. But that yeah. cut gave us a, a good foundation, I think, to just do this morning show. Yeah, so I had never looked at what the statistics were. Um, so I've been married 22 years. I got married in 2001. And um, knowing that in 2000 there were only one in 10, um, and now there are about two in 10. So the the population of interracial couples has doubled, you know, in the last 20 years. Um, and seeing how it has become more accepted mainstream, um, as it was stated, you know, you can't turn on the TV and see a commercial without an interracial couple, et cetera. Um, so it's interesting how... Um, the view and perspective from the mainstream has has become more accepting of interracial couples than it was even 20 years ago. Now, fair enough. And so I'll actually start with you just from this standpoint. You know, I've been fortunate enough to have you on the show several times. But, um, you know, you and I actually did a deep dive some years ago uh, about, in a sense, your background in the Air Force and things and initiatives um, you're also one of our black level members of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, if you will. But I remember, and had to, we have to bring this to the table from that show, but I remember in the dialogue, we were really get, doing a deep dive into your history. You were my college roommate um, out at the Air Force yep. Academy. Um, my, second, my, my second year out there, I went to, well, I guess technically I went to the prep, we both went to the prep school, but we were roommates freshman year or whatever. And I remember in that individual interview, one thing that we highlighted was you being from Memphis, if you will, you had only dated black women. I recall, if I remember this correctly in college, for the most part, you still dated mostly black women. I remember, you know, you dating someone uh, maybe of mixed race, if I recall, or whatever. But we thought it was so unique that your history ended up that you ended up marrying um, interracially, considering your history had been such, even to the point of recalling early in your Air Force career, um, you know, literally about to marry a black woman just didn't work out. And so it was a surprise, really, to all of us. But again, you and me being so close, and, you know, personally, I didn't have an issue with it, um, personally. And, 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 of course, you knew that. But at the same time, we laughed about, like, wow, with your history, how did this even come about? Because when you have these conversations, people have all of these ideas for why it's done. So I thought, you know, again, let's bring that to the table because even you were surprised considering your own history from what I recall. But go ahead and talk a little bit about that. If you yeah. Can. So, yes, um, all of that is, yeah, is, is real. Um, y you know, I always grew up and I thought, you know, um, I was going to be the Claire and Bill Huxtable, you know, example, um, you know, two professional um, um, uh, black man and woman to get married and raise this strong black family um, and live somewhere in the South. Um, I never thought I would end up where I am, but I'm glad I am where I am, um, if that makes sense. Um you, you know, even my, um, I, I have more context to that now that my kids are older. Um, you know, when I was at the academy, I had a sponsor family. 
um, and the sponsor, my sponsor family was also white. Um, and we have, you know, they've been a part of my life, you know, since the academy. And my sponsor mom just took my middle boy on a cruise. And my son was asking all the questions about me growing up. And she even said, you know, she expected that I would marry, you know, a black woman. But life always has its way of um, turning a corner. Um, And when I got to Arizona to um, fly C-130s at Davis-Monthan, I actually came to Arizona with um, a black woman. And as you said, things didn't work out. She went back home, and here I was. Um, A couple of months later, I met my wife. And um, when I met her, I was like, you know, that is the kind of woman you want to take home to mom. So I did. Um, And I, I almost didn't marry her because of the... Who's coming to dinner? <laughs> Look who's coming yes. to dinner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I really had to sit down and have a, an honest conversation with myself about do I really want to go across the railroad tracks um, and, and bring this woman home, and, and am I really going to do that? And, you know, at the end of the day, the answer is yes, um, and I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I had the courage, you know, to do that at a time when it was not acceptable because taking her home was not easy. Um, I received all kinds of looks, all kinds of tongue lashings, you know, um, it was it was not easy. But once people got to meet her and got to accept her and know her, um, it was all good. Right, makes sense. Gina, I'm going to go to you now, if you will. Uh, you know, you and I met when you were, before you were, if you will, an entrepreneur and in the hospitality space um, some years ago. For what I could recall, and you can obviously tell me more, but if you will uh, recall, I've always known you, if you will, to date black guys. Um, you may have, again, being in Miami, you probably maybe dated other, but I just, that's what I personally recall. Um, but yeah, if you could just even talk about it in a sense, from your perspective, again, we're just giving a lot of context as we continue this conversation. Um, but, yeah, just give us a little bit of the background, not all, the whole story, if you will, but enough to give us some context of kind of your viewpoint. Or in a sense, did you start out dating within your race? Have you always dated outside your race? Just some of those basics, and then we'll um, talk to James as well. But thank you. Yeah, no, um, you, you know, growing up in South Florida, I grew up in a melting pot. You know, I went to – all my, you know, early education schools were a, a very broad mix. There wasn't just one race and from all over. And so, and I'm very grateful for that. You know, I've always been, I love culture. Um, I love, I'm, I'm Italian, so I got family, food, you know, and any culture that really, you know, represents that, I feel at home. <laughs> so, um, no, I've, I've never, it hasn't always been just to one type of person. I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm very open um but yes i I think uh the first time was we were friends you know and we went to school together and we just vibed together it was a vibe i I guess you know and then as i got older i never really looked at it like what are people gonna think because i didn't grow up with this like Mm -hmm. i I don't know hate would probably be a very strong word um but it, it wasn't like no, you can't do this, or, you know, I didn't have that. I didn't have fear mm-hmm. around it either, I guess. But as I got older, you know, I was in my early 20s when I had my first daughter, 
and by a black man. And I remember when we were going to his family reunion, and I was actually very early in the pregnancy, and, and you know, I've never felt more welcomed in my entire life. Like, it, I had more um, resistance from my own race than I did, you know, the opposite race with, you know, his family. They were very welcoming. I felt so comfortable and and welcome like they it, 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 they never made me feel uncomfortable and I, and that's always been my experience to be honest with you and I know that sounds crazy but it's true any you know relationship I've ever been in I've never not felt welcomed on their side of the family uh, now now not to say my family wasn't welcoming but more people white like I felt more resistance there than I did from the black side I guess and I've always felt welcomed I've always felt comfortable I've no, never it makes sense. Like what, huh? No, it makes sense. Let me jump James in here, if you will. And so, um, James, I'm pretty sure neither of these stories, like you said, surprise you again, just understanding from the individual standpoint. But you brought up something that was, uh, I thought, very smart in referencing, in a sense, when the laws kind of came into place in the 1600s and why they came into place, right? You were talking about the, you know, the classes and so they put in these laws in a sense to retain power and things of this nature. And so, you know, when I hear a Gina's uh, story, or I would say just, and I'm generalizing here, even people from California who grew up in those mixes, and I have friends who are from there now, if you will. And so it's almost like when they leave their their melting pots where these things, if you will, are normal, it's almost they have to find out that the rest of the United States is similar to Mariko's story, right? I've, I've definitely met people like, wow, until I went here, I didn't realize that race was such an issue because they're so used to the melting pot. They didn't have those issues, and clearly we're 56 years removed from the, you know, the Supreme Court decision to remove those laws, if you will. And so I'm kind of just kind of walking you through the, <clears throat> the highlight um, Again, I'm assuming neither of these stories surprises you, but you of someone saying, hey, this is the history for why they started. It was kind of to retain power. And so uh, that's something that is, from what I understand, is still a concern of yours. Why you would recommend, if we will, that we marry within the race, kind of for the same reasons that it started. Um, what is your perspective for someone who grew up like a Gina in a Florida or out in California where that's just a normal thing, nobody's thinking about it? What do you, how do you bring that context of keeping, if you will, the wealth within a race to people who don't have, don't have that concept? Because, you know, again, we're almost 60 years removed from it being an even bigger issue. And, it's, and as the stats are showing, is becoming less and less of an issue as far as interracial marriage goes. Now, I know I said a lot, but I'm I'm pretty sure you can handle that. Go ahead, brother. Hold on one second. I may have muted you. One second. Oh, you live? Did you mute yourself? Bring yourself. Bring yourself. Oh, yeah, I did. Sorry. <laughs> okay, no I'm always moving around. I said I was yeah, no trying to be. I was trying to stay on track because, like you said, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think the issue to people, let me make it real simple, connect your thoughts and beliefs of retaining that power within the racial construct, something that you see as necessary. Just what are your thoughts of how someone growing up in a mixed situation, like she grew up in Miami and people that grow up in those areas where that's not of concern, how, how does this idea to retain power within the race by marrying within, how do you even bring that to someone who can't even conceptualize it? I would say most of the 
the country can conceptualize what you're talking about. Someone like Gina or somebody grew up in a melting pot community would don't even quite understand why this is necessary. So I'm just going to, how would you even bring it to someone like a Gina, if that makes sense? Okay, let's see. Um, let's, I'm going to try to be respectful, so excuse me if I come across as curt. Uh, but I think most people, like you said, do understand it. This is the United States of America. This country was based and built off of racism. Most people understand that. Gina explained to us that she comes from an Italian family. Most people probably don't know this, but Italians were not even considered white in the United States until probably around the 1950s. And when they came here, a lot of them had uh, more olive complexion, such as Greeks and other people from the Mediterranean region, and were not necessarily accepted. So that's something to be considered in and of itself. If you go to Italy even today, there's probably a little more acceptance of Africans in Italy, uh, the country, versus Italian-Americans. When Europeans come here, they want to assimilate and become white, and you can't necessarily do that if you intermingle yourself with the group that is considered the lowest on the totem pole, which is Africans. So I would go and mention that first off. And this is not only Italians. This is also Irish, too. Um, most black people in this country have some European admixture in them. That's just the way it is. That's because of the rapes and everything that occurred. Most of us are probably about... 20 to 30 percent European. So we have never really had an issue with intermingling with Europeans because that was forced upon us, so to speak. Now, in regards to the power structure, the issue is still to this very day, we are the lowest economic group in this country. That is because of systemic racism. And a lot of people would say, what can be done by that? Well, one thing can be done is education and access to resources. Um, but if we are going to lift up a group of people, you don't necessarily do that by marrying outside of your group. You might lift up yourself, but you don't do that by the group. Basically, when the children come, it's like, who are they going to be loyal to? Are they going to go more for the mother's side or the father's side? Are they going to be black? Even the term by racial I don't really like because for centuries in this country, if you had one drop of black blood, you were black. That was it. And that's one reason why there's so many of us today. If we did not use that term previously, we probably wouldn't even exist as a people. The country would probably be less than 5% black. I mean, again, there weren't that many of us brought here in, rel in relation to how many were brought to the Latin American countries where they have a completely different uh, way of stratifying races. So my right concern personally... I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm going to jump. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. We're going to jump to this break. This break will also... Um, talk about some of what you're talking about as I have a cut from Dr. Umar Johnson for those who um, know that brother. Um, so we'll go to the commercial and then hear the break and get all of your thoughts on what you hear. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Minister Law Talk Show. But all I ask is that you think. What's up with you, dog? Everything, everything, man. Straight up, though, me and, me and my girl, we about to have our first child, and I think she's losing her mind, boy. For real? Y'all been going through it? Yeah, to a degree, but real talk, she just stressing way too much and stay worrying about how we're going to raise this child, man. Like, 
I try to reassure, but her anxiety got her on tilt, boy. Yeah, stressing too much can't be a good thing during pregnancy. But hey, I remember hearing about this dope psychotherapist on the Mental Dialogue talk show, Sinead Benito. She is starting a mental health and new mother's online support group. You should enroll your girl. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds good, you know what I'm saying? But therapy is kind of expensive, right? No, it's only $15 a session. $15? What I need to do to sign up? Go to her website, SineadBenito.com, and hit the drop-down box for group therapy, and you will see the mental health and new mother's class. Hold up, hold up. What's, what's the website again? And spell it for me. Spell it for me. SineadBenito.com. S-H-A-N-A-E. B as in boy. E-N-I-T-O.com. Bet that. Snow Bunny Crisis. The Snow Bunny Crisis relates to the tendency for black men in European societies uh-huh. to pursue white women as their mates at a rate that exceeds what any man of any other color does with regard to interracial dating. Black men love white women, and it's because of racial inferiority. It's because I need validation. It's because I've been brainwashed to look at my own woman as being less than. It's because I want my children to look like my oppressor in order for me to feel like a man. So it is a psychological sickness born of post-traumatic slavery disease and post-traumatic colonization disorder. And it is destroying and eroding the foundation of the traditional black family all across the world. So does it mean that you're still against anti-racial marriage? Absolutely. I do not support it. I'm not against the white woman or the red woman or the brown woman or the yellow woman. Human being, I will respect you. But the family is the most essential institution of the black community. You lose that, you lose everything. In America, only one out of every four black women will get married. It's not much better in the U.K. or Paris or Canada or South Africa, you see. So if I want to save black people, I got to save the black family. Moreover, marriage is an economic alliance. Women, on average, outlive men. So if I marry a snow bunny, she's not going to take any of my wealth, any of my estate, any of my savings, and bring it to Guadalupe and build a school for black children. Kobe Bryant was a billionaire. Uh-huh. He left all that money to a Latino woman. She's not going to bring any of that money back to Philadelphia to help our children. Marvelous Marvin Hagler, the former middleweight boxing champion, he died as a result of the COVID vaccination. Uh-huh. A white woman inherited his estate. She's not going to take any of that money to a black community. And that's why I look at interracial dating and marriage as a form of financial betrayal and economic sabotage. So if a brother comes to you and tells you, you know what? Uh, Dr. Uma, love doesn't have complexion. Love doesn't have color. And I'm going to say, oh, you are a coon. Get your ass up out of my face. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, race mixing. Why do we date slash marry outside of our race? as we hear a cut from Dr. Umar Johnson giving his opinion. Um, Rico, I'll ask you to respond as if you were sitting right there to Dr. Umar laying out why he's against interracial dating. So interested in hearing what your response might be to that brother, if you will. 
first of all, I, I think it's kind of sad um, that he has so much hatred, um, bitterness that is still within himself that he spews that on the rest of the world. Um, the way that, uh, for what was said in, in that excerpt, you know, he put all these things on me and he has no idea who I am. Um, and then finally to say um, that my wife wouldn't take, you know, my wealth or our wealth and take it to the black community, that's 100% false. Um, I think oftentimes she sees things more clearly of what's going on with race and the black community than even I do. Um, so I just think it's, it's, it's a bunch of um, stereotypes that have been pushed upon why people do what they do and who they are and who they are not. Um, and, and, and I also think, you know, I have been able to help more black people um, with my family, um, and I don't know that it would have been any different had I married a black woman. Um, so I still go to Memphis. I still, you know, want to contribute, et cetera, et cetera. So me marrying a white woman, I don't think in any way has taken me out of, or my family out of, uh, of a society that can continue to support, um, the needs, um, and uprising of the black community. Now, fair enough to the thoughts, and I'll add this, and I want to get James' thoughts to that cut as well. Um, so I'll add this, and we talked about this on the show with you in the sense of not only in a sense of surprise that you ended up marrying interracially, if you will, um, just based on your own history, but the thing that I stood for, um, in, you know, in you making that decision was the fact that you, you're somebody I could count on, right? You're somebody I could count on with what I'm doing with the Mental Dialogue Community Club, which is concerned about our community and the upliftment of our community. And you don't hesitate. Again, you've joined this club at the highest level. Again, just highlighting that for this reason, because you're not the only member who, if you will, has married interracially. And I'll say, again, I don't know Dr. Umar personally. I've met him, if you will. Um, but even for all of the things that he's, if you, I'll even say the word spewing out as far as commitment to the community, uh, you know, he's publicly failed on having a school when he highlights, uh, she won't put a school in the black community. I'm just kind of highlighting, um, in a sense, these contradictions. And even being in Atlanta where I live, where there is a quote-unquote conscious community, I've highlighted brothers like yourself and, again, some of the other members who are, are, are more supportive than people who necessarily talk about what they're going to do. And, again, your help and some initiatives that I know you still have in reference to wanting to be able to help the community, they are very real. So I'm not personally wasting any time judging in a sense who you with, again, it comes down to your personal actions. And the last thing I'll say is this. The choice to be able to uh, help within any community for whatever your reasons or reasons why, that's not necessarily an obligation that sometimes we assume that it should be. There's plenty of very wealthy, you know, um, black couples that are not interracially married that ain't trying to put up that school either. So just kind of highlight in my eyes the contra 
contradictions that I hear and, you know, and specifically come from, from a man who's collected money for a school that he's never put up either, if you will. Again, somewhat of a direct attack. Uh, he's not here to defend himself. But James, very interested and, in your and, thoughts. And, and, and one to, other, oh, yeah, one other so thing to, to add to that is when you think about my wife, who's now white, who has black children, she loves her children. So her sympathies toward them will be different had she not have had black kids. Um, you know, my wife is, works for a nonprofit, <clears throat> and she is 100% one of the biggest proponents of DEI. You know, she's sitting um, at a table, and there are members that um, don't necessarily um, want to support DEI. Um, so she's the one that's speaking up for that. You know what I mean? Um, so that that's just it, it's another unfounded. Example, another example from your perspective. Yeah. Another yeah, another example from your perspective. Um, James, your thoughts um, to what you're hearing? Um, you know, if you will, your perspective, if you will. Hold on one second. Let me. All right, let me bring you back live. Sorry about that, brother. Hey, matter of fact, let me do this. Let me go to this break real quick, and then we'll get your thoughts coming out of the break, James. Sorry about that. All right, y'all, you listening to? Sorry about that. Got to take care of my sponsors. For anybody out there listening, you can also join this conversation at 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646-787-1691. We'll be right back. Is that you think? What happens when your customers call your business and you're too busy to answer or call them back in a timely manner? You lose that business. Shockingly, 61% of inbound calls go unanswered. But fear not, tchmedia.ai is here to change the game. We specialize in capturing, nurturing, and converting your prospects into loyal customers. With our state-of-the-art communication solutions, no interaction will be left behind. When you miss a call, we've got you covered with automatic, engaging texts that keep your prospects connected and eager to choose you over your competitors. Don't let potential customers slip away. Make the smart choice with tchmedia.ai and skyrocket your conversions today. tchmedia.ai is here to change the game. Change the game. Psychologist Dr. Gerald Hassel and Omar Buckner, founders of Self Mastery Retreats International, is proud to present a transformative experience specifically designed by black men for black men. This immersive retreat offers a unique opportunity for black men to forge deep bonds, enhance their personal growth, and empower themselves to create positive change in their lives, families, and communities. For five days in the sacred surroundings of Puerto Morales, Mexico, a select group of powerful black men will embark on a journey of self-discovery, creating a safe and supportive space to share their experience and build a strong sense of community. This trip will truly transform your life and takes place February the 15th through 19th, 2024. If interested, text SELFMASTERY to 678-548-2456. Again, that is SELFMASTERY to 678 678- Four five eight two four five six to receive a direct link for the retreat. Uh, racism, white supremacy, is a conscious and/or subconscious construct by people who classify themselves as white for their genetic survival. Whites are a tiny minority on the planet, 
and they're genetic recessive in terms of skin coloration. So let's say if everybody on the planet didn't pay any attention to skin color and everybody just melded together, and in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, if everybody loved one another and that love was expressed in terms of sexual activity and reproduction, then white would disappear. And what would happen then? And so if the people who classify themselves as white do not want to disappear, then they have to set up certain kinds of patterns of behavior in all areas of people activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor law, politics, religion, sex, and war. That is so fascinating to me because I'm always thinking, how did this all start? Like, what was the first person who got up and said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, this skin color thing, I got to keep this going. And let's have a hatch a plan to make sure that. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, race mixing, why do we date slash marry outside of our race? If you want to get in on the discussion, you do have to press 1. If you are a caller, I do see a caller out there. If you want to join us, 646-787-1691, you do have to press 1 to speak. Uh, Sorry about cutting you off, Brother James, but, again, your thoughts to um, what you were about to say before the break. Sorry, brother. I think I got you on mute again. Just trying to make sure I'm keeping the background noise out. Uh, you're live again, brother. Sorry about that. Hello? Yeah, you're live now. Sorry about Hello? that. Hello? Okay. Yes, I was going to say that I mostly, I mostly agree with Dr. Umar. I believe everybody has an exception to the rule. No, I also believe everyone has anecdotal evidence. But I personally believe in this country that most white people, if not all, are racist, and there are degrees to this. Everybody doesn't want to see you hanging from a tree. Everyone doesn't want to kill you. But generally speaking, they want to see you basically kept in your place. Uh, My anecdotal evidence is that my mother has always moved and lived in um, so-called racially mixed neighborhoods. Even when I was back home in Kentucky and Atlanta and everywhere. And within probably about five to ten years of moving in these neighborhoods, I have, I have seen them all become majority black because the white people did not want to live next to us. I remember having a conversation about this in high school. And if anyone knows, I grew up in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and I saw the last white class of Reedan High School which is now all black high school. And the teacher said, do you know why these uh, the white parents moved away? And I was the only one in class that they didn't want to live around black people. My white counterparts said, oh, that's not it. They wanted to have better houses. They were able to buy better homes in Gwinnett County. So they moved out and everything. But we all know the truth. And people don't want to admit it because it's not considered in vogue to be racist. Um, even Dr. Uh, even Jane Elliott, who is a uh, renowned speaker on the subject, talks about this. If you are white in the United States and you are not racist, you are a walking miracle. It basically means you have rejected almost any and everything that you were taught in school and the general society that we live in. So with that being the case, I do agree with Dr. Umar Johnson that uh, we are all living under the legacy of the racism that this country has uh, given us, and we all have 
in us the ability to unteach it and unlearn it. And some people do a better job of that than others. And if somebody says, well, my life isn't like that, that's that's wonderful. But for you, there's others that do deal with that. And just because a person marries a black person and produces black children, that does not mean they are not racist. They basically like that black person and the black people they produce. They don't necessarily want to live around black people. They don't necessarily care about black issues. They don't necessarily want to go to a black church and things of that nature. And I have seen that a lot of times. I have a whole segment of my family and the men only marry and date white Pete women. And so I've, I've seen it personally, intimately, and generally in society. But the bottom line is what I think Dr. Umar is saying is, how do you build black wealth? You don't do that by marrying outside of your group. If you say, I'm going to do it anyway, then more power to you, because, again, my preface is, no one has a right to tell you what you can and can't do. But we are talking about opinion, theory, and policy. Now, fair enough. That's Gina, all I have thoughts to say. Too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for your, um, your, your three cents, brother. Um, Gina, any thoughts to what you're hearing from either of these, either, either of these brothers from your perspective? Um, I, you know, I can understand where he's coming from, but I will disagree and just from my perspective because maybe I am that walking miracle. Um, because I think for myself, you know, it, you know, you you turn on the TV and you watch the news and you see that the news is, is reports crimes, you know, specifically, of, you know, for black people, let's say, or anybody who's not white, you know, that's what they're pumping. So, and and I I know statistically that there's more white people in this country and they commit just as much crime. But what you see on TV, what you see is being pumped through, you know, the airwaves of any, you know, which from anywhere is, is that, you know, crime, you know, you have to be in fear. But when I walk out my door and experiences that I have had, I've never not felt safe. I've never, I've never, like, I didn't, I can't subscribe to what they're putting out there because I've never experienced that. So I have to think, you have to think for yourself. Like, yes, I, I get that this country, I'm, I'm, I hear you 150%, trust me, but I also have to go by what I see, what I experience, and I've never not, you know, I've never not felt safe, and I mean, I uh, Montoya knows I I lived in Atlanta. I've I've been all over Atlanta, and I've worked in in different places, and I've been in different situations, and I've never experienced what the news or what the TV or what people you know are telling me I should experience when dealing with black men, black people at all. And so I have that's where I can separate myself from what they're telling me I should feel or experience to what I feel and experience. And again, I don't agree with um they're all racist and but they're also only being uh programmed to see see that way too so you have to kind of deprogram that and go on a human experience because and and not all you know like what the news will tell you is that all black men are criminals that's not you know that's well yeah let me let me let me jump in and say this um to james's point and i want to ask james another question as well but with the part that you just talked about so recognizing, you know, if you will, that unfortunate programming actually is part of the reason I think James leans into that position, right? Leans into the position because, you know, like what is the work to deprogram, if you will, the entire country in the event that um, that's not happening, then I think um, the, the positioning is, well, 
don't have time to do that work, but at the same time, I can marry me, and, you know, obviously, as a man, I, I can marry me a black woman and go ahead and start working on the positioning of my community versus even having to, to do that work with the rest of the country who, who if, as Jane Elliott says, if you went through 12 years and are not a racist, you are a walking miracle. That's pretty close to the quote, if I remember it correctly. Um, uh, so, again, just highlighting that Unfortunately, the programming, I think, is part of the reason that, if you will, James is taking the position. Here's just a little, just a quick common sense question to you, um, James, that I've always wondered, um, just from the standpoint of uh, when a black and white specifically married, because, again, this conversation is about race mixing altogether, technically, if you will, but obviously that's what we have on the panel to, on the, on, on the panel here today. Um, but one question is why do we assume the wealth leaves the black side to go to the white side from your perspective? Why do we make that assumption? Or why can't it be that we get some of that wealth when there's a mixing of the race? Again, just a, just a common sense question, not saying I'm saying one way or the other, but I'm just curious to hear your response to that, if you will. I personally think that's just the way the system is structured. Generally, when you go over there, you have to conform to that society to get that. And the higher up you climb in our society, the whiter it gets, so to speak. So when you go out to places like Hollywood and in the upper levels of power in New York and things like that, I think people basically marry based off of proximity. So when you leave someplace like Memphis, which is almost an all-black city, or Detroit, or Atlanta, and then you go off and you end up in someplace out west, which is like 90% white, you almost have to purposely and intentionally look to find a black woman to marry in those areas. But it won't be that difficult for you to find someone that's nice and you like and that you're attracted to and that you think is this and that to marry. So I think that's basically what it is. When you leave the communities that have been designed for us, um, you are more likely to do that. And then when you get to that power, what is there in you to say, I'm going to take what I've received and go back to the same area that I was at that has the lower stuff? Like me personally, I conscientiously chose to live in a black community in spite of what people told me to do inspired going into the suburbs and things. I could have went to nice suburbs in Atlanta that are majority black, but I conscientiously chose to go back into a lower-income black community, whereas other people say, I worked this hard, I've got this degree, this certification, and I'm not going to go back where I came from where I can't even get a uh, a button-up shirt because they don't have that store. i got to let um my brother Rico goes and say this real quick and get one quick thought from him. Um, but that example you just gave is like you said, specifically in Atlanta, obviously we, um, you know, the black Mecca, if you will, but that example you gave, that could just be a black man and black woman who makes the decision you just talked about and do it all the time where they don't do that. So I don't know that interracial itself is, itself is sucking the wealth out. It, it, um, it may not so necessarily know, work in Atlanta, but gotta, most gotta, of the country, yes. You have to go, James. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get your thoughts after that. All right, if you will, Mariko, just a quick thought on what you just heard. Give us a closing thought, and I'll let you go. Thank you for your time this morning, brother. You bet. Um, so I, I, I just think there are a lot of assumptions that are being made with a broad brush 
Um, and I think there, as, as we progress as a nation, as a culture, as a people, um, and uh, interracial uh, couples becomes more widespread. I, I, I just think we have to be careful about stereotyping any one person that they are going to do any one thing. Um, you know, who's to say that, you know, a, a black man and a black woman um, are going to bring their wealth back to the black community? Um, just as well, who's to say that an interracial couple won't bring their wealth back to the black community. These are all assumptions. There is no um, evidence to say that one or the other will or will not happen because we can find evidence of both. Um, so I just think we have to really be careful when we are making these broad brush stereotypes um, about who, why, what, when, where, and how. Um, because in, especially in today's age, it's not always necessarily the case. I think we are bringing a lot of of, of hurt trauma past from the past to our present and trying to, you know, find the round hole that it applies to. And again, that's just not necessarily the case. Now, thank you for your time. With your financial background, I would love to be able to continue this conversation because you're helping families every day maintain their wealth. And that in itself is such a hard job the idea of spreading it out to the community unless you really move into the upper excellence as far as wealth or you even thinking about distributing it outside of your family. Most people are just trying to make sure there's enough for it within their own family. And so that broader, broad brush perspective usually, in my opinion, is somewhat romanticized, and I hate not to have your specific expertise on what that looks like because I know you help people with all levels of wealth to include those who are wealthy. But thank you for your time, brother. We are going to go to another break and continue this conversation. For the callers that just got in, you do have to press 1 if you want to join this conversation. We'll be right back. Well, all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still go with me. Because I look like money, smell like money, talk like money, even walk like money. Hey, are you a wine drinker? Yeah, a little bit here and there, but but my wife definitely loves her. Why you ask? Man, you got to try this vegan wine by Sip and Share Wine. I ran across them at this event in Atlanta, and now I keep me a few bottles at the house. What, what flavor you like? Um, I mean, I like me a good red or, or maybe a nice dipping gel or something. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Try this sweet red first. Hmm. Okay, that's, that's nice and smooth right there. Yeah, that's kind of sweet like I like it. You know what I'm talking about? For sure. That's why I like that one as well. 
Hey, hey, now try this Conjure Sippin' Dance. This one was featured in Forbes magazine as a top 10 drink for the summer. See what you think. Oh, okay. Now that's fire right there. Where can I get a bottle of that? Just go to SippinShareWines.com. They'll ship it right to your door. They black on too. Oh, yeah? Okay, you said what? ShippinShareWines.com? Is that it? Yep. Bad. Most dudes that I know who date outside their race, outside of our black race, were looked at as lames in the black community. Yeah. It wasn't a situation where it's like, okay, now I grew I grew up aspiring to be with a white woman. What the what the story is is typically I grew up, I was in my, my black neighborhood, I didn't fit in, the women didn't want me, I would shoot my shot and they would curve me mm-hmm. over and over and over again. But then when I went to talk to this this white girl, she was she was vibing with me. Mm-hmm. And we just picked it up and then went from there. So now I I date white women now. But it's not a situation where it's like, oh, no, nah, I was bred, I was tall since young, and oh, no, nah, I want to be the white woman. I was black woman, hell, no, nah, I'm good. Now, when the same dude, that nerd, who was lame in the neighborhood, you wasn't given no opportunity, hell, no, nah, I don't want to go on no date. Ugh, don't get, just get away from me. Da, da, da. The same dude, 15 years later, is a multimillionaire. And now he's dating a white woman, and you looking at him like, oh, it's so loud. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, race mixing. Why do we date slash marry outside of our race? For the callers that are on the line, if you want to join us, you do have to press 1. Anybody want to jump in, 646-787-1691. You do have to press 1. My special guests are James and Gina. And I personally think that that cut, again, there's, everybody's going to have different stories. There's no one way that people, if you will, decide to date interracially, if you will, in in the black and white context. I think the viewpoint you just heard can be a very valid one, if you will. And so in the event that that is someone's experience, James, I'm going to go to you next. That is an individual's experience. Your conversation while having a, in a sense, um, from some people's perspective, validity for various reasons will will fall on deaf ear if that's been that person's individual experience. And you and I, in our conversations, you've highlighted this aspect that some of those men who go on to go well, but if that was their personal experience, it's going to be hard for them to, in my opinion, hear your perspective from a group standpoint when, if you will, their individual experiences, that quote-unquote same group, if you will, rejected them. And to bring, you know, just another little stat here, and I'll let you jump in, and and you and I have talked about this, about 30% of um, African-American men that graduate college or more date outside the race and you've highlighted that as an issue but again if that's their individual experience how do you even get across your message because i know you see it in a sense as a problem but go ahead brother i'm sorry brother i got you. i keep putting you on mute for oh, the in the back okay if you basically okay, you put yourself on mute Hello? Okay, go ahead brother yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. All right. Basically, basically, you are never going to be able to reach somebody that only goes by personal experience. 
because it doesn't matter. They're just going to say it's always going to be anecdotal evidence. And then some people just don't even care about the community, and that's their right too. What works for me is what works for me and to hell with the community, so to speak. So in that sense, it's like that's not really a conversation. But I also know that when they get in trouble, then they want to come back to the community and such. Um, so it's it's almost like a, it's a conversation. It's a conversation. Like I always say, I can't force anyone to do anything. I can only share my opinion. And then I can only share my opinion if anyone wants my opinion. I don't necessarily go around and say, this is the way it needs to be, and if you do this, you're wrong, and you can't be part of our community, and so to speak. So even like with Dr. Umar, it's like he gives his opinion to people that are interviewing him. And he's even said to himself, I'm not going to reject that person. I'm not going to disrespect them at the end of the day, regardless of what color they are. It's a person. It's a human being. And all people deserve respect, honor, and, and acceptance. But in regards to policy, what do you think is best for our community? What do you think is the best thing that will benefit the black community? That's a whole different conversation versus saying what's best for me personally and, and what do I like personally and how does this uh, 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 help me personally? That makes sense. So, Gina, if you will, uh, again, me and James have had these conversations, and so the dialogue is quite often often that, if you will, the best and brightest because um, 30% in a sense is a significant number, right, of those with bachelor degrees and above um, deciding, if you will, to marry outside the race just to give some more context of the numbers. And I don't know if you're familiar with any of this, but black men specifically marry outside the race at double the number that black women do or whatever. And so it is a, a constant dialogue when you start putting in perspective that, if you will, the black race, if you will, specifically experience experiences um if you will more women than men at much at a much sooner point than most races if you will so at about 16 you'll start seeing the if you will um but not seeing the actual numbers are that black black women will start to in a sense outnumber black men that doesn't happen until the 30s for example for for um, white women, if you will, where women start outnumbering men. So it ends up being somewhat of a numbers game. So it then creates this dialogue about, quote, unquote, the best and brightest, in a sense, moving outside the race. And what does that mean from a policy economic standpoint as far as when you see these numbers of you know, money and median wealth within families? So from that standpoint, to James's point, moving off the individual, because, again, he has no issue with that as well, uh, but just what is, what is it like for you to hear that some of the dialogue is being driven by the group context of wealth and how it affects when, quote, unquote, some of the best and brightest marry out? I don't know what your perspective is, but I'm just trying to hear it. Obviously, as a guest on the show, I want to hear your thoughts in hearing that is quite common, a conversation within our own community. You may have heard it before, but I just want to hear your thoughts on hearing it, hearing us move it to the group context versus whether individuals should marry interracially or not, if that makes sense. Well, I think when it comes to, like, building and wealth, you know, that, you know, you have to have a certain kind of drive regardless of who you are or who you're with. 
now your 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 spouse can either you know help you or hinder you too. No, I I don't think it matters the the color of their skin um, because if you're gonna build something, you know it, that requires work, it requires time, it requires energy, just like a marriage does, a relationship does. You know, working at a company, running a company, every anything is gonna require effort and and willpower and determination. And, you know, when it comes to building wealth, I, I think, you know, depending on your circumstances and, and how you get to that is, is, you know, many different moving parts to that. But I think it does, you know, your partner um, is a reflection, too, of, you know, that, that energy as well. And, you know, um, I think that's a conversation that people have to have before you even get married. Like, where, what do you, you know, where are you going and what do you want and, you know, depending on um, your race and who you marry, is it, it is. It, it, I think it does matter in that sense because if they're not willing to be on the same page with you, you're going to have roadblocks just personally, you know. So I, I think when it comes to, like, the group, uh, you know, and seeing those numbers, um, again, I, I, you know, I, there's still 70% that, you know, it, it seems right. like a good number significant number but right, right. I always highlight that as well so, I always highlight that the reality is um, while that marrying out is happening and, and again that's just at the bachelor level I think the numbers you know overall come down to um, like 24% overall once you get away from the bachelor's level um, but to her point James and, and like Robert Smith for example if you know, you know the billionaire that just I think sold his company and made even more money, if you will. So maybe the leading billionaire in the country right now uh, definitely spent a lot of years married to his black wife. Um, they got a, went through a very bad divorce, if you will, and now he's married to a, a white woman, if you will. But I know uh, one of our black level members is wanting to attach to one of his initiatives, where is to bring um, broadband to HBCUs. That's something that's very important. At least that's what he's put out publicly. And so in that sense, um, you know, he still wants to make his impact in the African-American community, despite, if you will, having um, his white wife. And so I'm just kind of highlighting that I think Gina said something that it comes down to individually. If you have that care, it's, can my mate help me build it so that I can go help regardless of race? Again, I'm not talking about right or wrong. I'm just kind of highlighting. kind of comes down to the individual because Robert Smith is still wanting to spread wealth. I'm not saying that's all he's spreading it, but he's wanting to spread wealth and help out the African-American community. And it's not that I'm not talking, I'm not talking just using it as an anecdotal because I, I get that it's anecdotal to a degree, but I'm just highlighting that maybe it comes down to more the individual and does my significant other help me get to where I want to so that I can do what I want within my community, if that makes sense. I don't know. Again, just your thoughts on what you're hearing, but um, uh, from that perspective, if you will. Mike, you have yourself on mute again, brother. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know this was my turn. <laughs> okay, no problem. Hey, what I'm let me do this. Let me shoot to a break because I want to go to another space. I want to get into the psychology 
of this because I now have to share my own personal experience because of some of the psychology of what we experience as African-American men. I think this cut will go to it. I see a caller that wants to jump in as well. So no big deal. Uh, yeah, let's to go to jump break. in because I, I think yeah, yeah, I was going to, go to repeat what I said. To the caller. Yeah, and get out of the break. You know, not a problem. We're good. All right, we'll be right back. Um, 904, we'll get to you coming out of break. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. What's up with you, dog? Everything, everything, man. Straight up, though, me and, me and my girl, we about to have our first child, and I think she losing her mind, boy. For real? Y'all been going through it? Yeah, to a degree, but real talk, she just stressing way too much and stay worrying about how we're going to raise this child, man. Like, I try to reassure, but her anxiety got her on tilt, man. Yeah, stressing too much can't be a good thing during pregnancy. But hey, I remember hearing about this dope psychotherapist on the Mental Dialogue talk show, Sinead Benito. She is starting a mental health and new mother's online support group. You should enroll your girl. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds good, you know what I'm saying, but... Therapy is kind of expensive, right? No, it's only $15 a session. $15? What I need to do to sign up? Go to her website, SineadBenito.com, and hit the drop-down box for group therapy, and you will see the mental health and new mother's class. Hold up, hold up. What's, what's the website again? And spell it for me. Spell it for me. SineadBenito.com. S-H-A-N-A-E. B as in boy. E-N-I-T-O.com. Better. I think that it's such an issue that a lot more black men are dating Latino women. Mm. You know what's funny? I know where it started from because, you know, back then, like in the 80s, the Spanish community, they didn't want their daughters dating black men. And for a long time, they told their daughters, don't date black men. So when the money came in in the 80s and things got better, you know, Black men were able to sway the parents and get the girl. So we kind of, like, turned to, like, a trophy thing. Like, yo, I'm dating a mommy or I'm dating a Colombian. Like, something that's foreign or exotic. So I kind of feel as though, like, when even me in high school, if you didn't have no money, the Spanish girls didn't date you. So it's kind of like when you had a Spanish girl, finally, it was a big deal to you. So I kind of feel as though, like, it comes from, the 80s, when you finally, when the black man was getting that money, buying cars, diamonds, all the gold, and the mommy wanted a part of that shit. And eventually it turned to having like a trophy, like, yo, I got a Dominican or a Colombian or a Brazilian. So that's where it comes from. It's a fascination. And if you peep game, most black girls don't really have a good story about their fathers, which is sad. So, you know, most black women, when they grow up, they're not angry, they're aggressive because they have to be a little more you know, protective over their hearts, and they're aggressive. But meanwhile, the Spanish woman, when they see a black man, to them, it's kind of like their trophy. So it's kind of like the black woman, some of them do love us still, but some of us are tired of our shit. But the, the Boricua or the Colombian or Dominican kind of see us as brand new. They don't kind of equate that baggage with not having a father in my life with the black man's stigma. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, race mixing, why do we date slash marry outside of our race? 
special guests, Gina and James, with me on this morning as we're just dialoguing through this conversation. And I needed to highlight this. 904, we're going to get to you, so just bear with me. But I, I want to make sure we put the, the – um, well, let me, let me do this. Let me um, get the caller in, and then we'll jump to the cut so that we don't break up their thought. All right, 904, last 3061, give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Okay, my name is Tahaka. I'm on L Bay. I'm calling out of uh, Jacksonville Territory, Florida State Republic. And uh, I've been listening to you for a while involving this race mixing, and I think uh, this this has to be dealt with on an individual basis. And the reason I'm saying that is because I was able to deal with that being some uh, a few other guys, the one that educated me, both of these guys are millionaires. They were millionaires when I was a child. However, they educated me. And the first thing they told me, the well, first, first thing you need to know is everything you can possibly know about yourself and your ancient story. And uh, we have gotten, seem to have gotten confused. We have what's called his story. and But our story was never told. It was blocked out of the school system. They're still trying to uh, get rid of it down here in the state of Florida, too. But in my personal opinion, it's the greatest story ever told. Uh, to me, based on what I know about myself and uh, our ancient story, I think, um, you. why would you do something like that? If you came from uh, uh, the greatest people who ever walked the face of this earth, and the only reason I'm saying that is because I can prove it. Uh, we built stop sign, red light couplings for railroad cars. Uh, we invented the Internet, and I mean the list goes on and on, refrigerated trucks, and you name it. Uh, we created it. So if there was a woman, and I'm a man, if there was a woman, she would have to be tailor-made and designed specifically for me. And so if that's the case, then why would I go and deal with something uh, that's not a part of me, or that didn't come from the greatness that I came from? That's my two two cent word. Hey, it's three cents on here, brother. Let me let me throw this out at you. So the reality is, anytime any group, whether it's race, ethnicity, if there's mixing, especially when you go back in history, and, and in a sense we were populating the earth, if you will, if you just keep going, you know, through. Through history, but it, as groups intermingle, it's pretty common that, on, on the average, about ten percent intermingling will typically happen to to a degree. And and, and I'm all, and again, I'm, it's, it's just me wanting to hear your thoughts on this very very briefly. But if you think about even in 1661 when the first miscegenation law was put in place, James highlighted the reality is they they put a law in place because it was normal for. A, a percentage of people to intermingle. So it ends up being, we say why, I would offer that it ends up being somewhat natural for a small percentage of any group, and we see that throughout history. And so I respect your perspective. I only date black women personally. I don't mind saying it. I'm going to get into a little more of my story after, this, after I let you go. Um, but, you know, just to kind of put that in context, but I'm highlighting this for this reason, just from this standpoint. Um, again, being someone who only dates black women wants to build, you know, build wealth within our community, all the things that you're kind of, I'm pretty sure you would agree with. I'm just highlighting that the other perspective is not just our own. There's always a small percentage of any group 
that will do that. So when you say why, I would offer that it's somewhat natural, as we've always seen throughout history. Um, your thoughts on just that perspective that a small group would naturally do it anyway, regardless, to the point where they would risk their lives when there were laws in line saying they could go to jail. Like that's how much of, of people will go that far. So to me, it speaks to it being somewhat natural for a small percentage of any group. Your thoughts on that real quick before we let you go. Well, I, I have to agree with you 100% about the people that are actually doing it. You do have people that are doing it. and But my my personal opinion, uh, okay. uh, as a uh, more a man with a nationality, uh, you only do that to your own personal detriment and the detriment of the nation of your people. Okay, fair enough. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Um, James, any thoughts to um, what our caller had to say? Let me get you back live. I want to hear Gene's thoughts as well. Yeah, basically, um, um, again, people are going to do what people are going to do. And like you said, that's going to be mixing. Men meet women, and the man likes what the woman looks like, and the woman likes what the man looks like, regardless of race, throw everything else away, and they're going to get together and they're going to copulate. That's just that's just the nature of thing. White men went around the world conquering and even in spite of having racist views, they still had sex with those women wherever they landed. And the same thing with black men. When black men came here before the law changed and everything, that's what they they went for. They, I like this woman. She's fine, and I want her. And not bearing the law, I'm going to have her. The conversation today, though, is, for me, more about economics. And like you said, if about 30% of our best and brightest are going over to the other side, and we know most people, I think, would agree there is a war against black people in this country, how do you basically win the war or at least survive the war if over 30% of your best troops are going over to the enemy side, so to speak? And that's not to say that, oh, all white people are your enemy and such. But at the same point, as long as we have the highest rate of poverty, the lowest rate of education, the lowest rate of wealth, the lowest rate of marriage, and all these other issues that we deal with as a group, how is that going to be resolved by intermingling with the other group that is, quote, unquote, responsible for it? So that's my so issue again. You can do whatever you want. On that group level. And so, you know, you and I talked about this. Other groups, Hispanics and Asians, actually intermingle more than blacks. Most people don't realize that. And so um, just want to – yeah, yes, I just want to – again, I just want to make sure, we, you know, we're just fleshing through this conversation. You, you, and so you are right, but it's a slightly different dynamic. It's a slightly different dynamic on why. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, what I, that's what I'm about to ask you the question so you can speak to it. So that's what I'm saying. I'm asking the question so you can't speak to it. So – they don't seem to see that as an issue as you see it as such because, again, most people don't realize they intermix more than, than the, even blacks do, if you will. Um, Asian, Asian women specifically, um, almost uh, if they're born here, 46% of them marry outside the race, if you will. So just kind of, again, obviously a smaller demographic, but they do that to that degree. So what's the, sli- the difference in the dynamic that other groups don't seem to be having this issue marrying on the other side and it affected them 
in this group way that you say it, it affects black community. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just wanting to let people hear you. Got you. Well, generally from my perspective, and I'm going to just speak from my research because I'm not Asian and I'm not Latino. I do speak Spanish. so I have had opportunity to be around a lot of Latinos, but, um, Generally speaking, historically, most people probably understand the Chinese ban where the United States actually banned Asian people from coming here for like up to 100 years. That happened in the 1800s. So they allowed Asian men to come here, but they didn't allow Asian women to come here. So if you wanted to marry, you had to basically marry a white person. And then because of the social dynamics in this country, they are. They knew, just like we knew, that we were the lowest people on the stratosphere economically. So there wasn't too many people trying to come over here and marry into the people that are at the, bond, at the lowest level of the society. Most people come up here to get a come up. They come here for economic reasons. They want to grow. You don't do that by moving 3,000 miles to the other side of the country, of the world and then intermingling with the people. And when you get there, they're at the lowest level of the society. So with Asians, what I've seen is a little bit different. When you marry white, you basically marry up because they have more of an affinity for white people than we do. As a matter of fact, if you look at the history, when they had the laws on the book that said black people here, white people there, you don't fit in that if you're Asian or Latino. So your argument is, well, I'm white, I'm light, I'm from the Northern Hemisphere. So that's one thing with them. Basically, when you do that, you're marrying up. And I do have a friend whose mother was from Vietnam, and even with the racism they deal with, uh, her sister would say, well, you married a black person, but she didn't use that word at the lowest level of the society, and I married a white man. Even though her black husband had more money and wealth and prestige, she still thought that she could look down on her sister who married a black man just because we are seen at the lowest level. And with Latinos, if you understand Latino culture or Latino society, that is not a race. It is an ethnicity, and many of them are are European or mestizo, which means mixed with Indian and white. So, again, when they marry over, particularly Cubans, particularly Cubans, because, again, Latino is anybody that comes or has association with the Iberian Peninsula. They basically are saying, well, I'm not really marrying outside my group. If I'm Argentina, 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 excuse me, from Argentina, those people usually come from Germany or Italy or Spain, and one of those people come over here and marries a white person. The only difference is the language. I just married another white person because a lot of Latinos consider themselves white, and they were considered white until about the 1950s when the United States separated them and said Mexicans are no longer considered white around the 40s and 50s. Now, it makes sense. Let's go to this other break. Yeah, let's go to this other break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. All I ask is that you think. What happens when your customers call your business and you're too busy to answer or call them back in a timely manner? You lose that business. Shockingly, 61% of inbound calls go unanswered. But fear not, tchmedia.ai is here to change the game. We specialize in capturing, nurturing, and converting your prospects into loyal customers. With our state-of-the-art communication solutions, no interaction will be left behind. 
When you miss a call, we've got you covered with automatic, engaging texts that keep your prospects connected and eager to choose you over your competitors. Don't let potential customers slip away. Make the smart choice with TCHmedia.ai and skyrocket your conversions today. TCHmedia.ai is here to change the game. But for many interracial couples, the issue of children brings its own set of joys and challenges, especially worries about how their children will be treated, which brings us back to the Brock family and daughter Lexi. You know, like kids in middle school are mean, and so then it's like, you're too white or you're too black or you're a mutt. A mutt? Yeah. How did you react when people said stuff like that to you? It hurt, you know, at first, and like, why are we not good enough, you know? Because my skin's tan. That's, that's your justification of that, you know? But the number of multiracial Americans is steadily rising. And so is the visibility of bi or multiracial role models. First Barack Obama, and now Kamala Harris. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, race mixing, why do we date slash marry outside of our race? My special guests are James and Gina. I see some extra callers out there. If you want to get in on this discussion, you do have to press 1 to speak. Um, we usually hear a cut. Gina, I definitely want to get your thoughts in reference to, as you're saying, having um, – we'll, we'll, as James said, maybe we shouldn't even use the word or whatever, but just the, word that it, the context that everybody understands, having biracial – the children, and I'm pretty sure they've experienced some of what you heard in the cut. But I wanted to highlight the psychology. This is the Mental Dialogue talk show, and I want to highlight my own personal psychology because it's relevant to this show from a personal standpoint. Um, as if you were just listening, myself and James, we were obviously dialoguing about the group dynamics and what that looks like from an economic standpoint. And to his point, there are two different conversations, but in an attempt to have this conversation about why we marry um, outside our race for those that do, you have, I think you have to talk about both of those. But back to from an individual perspective, here's my own journey to, in a sense, only, if you will, dating black women. Um, I didn't start out that way, if you will. We had, we had Brother Rico on the first hour who spent all his life dating only black women, only to, if you will, end up marrying a white woman um, again in the first hour. Myself, it's similar to the cut on the last um, break, not this, this recent break, where the brother was talking about the dynamic between Spanish and blacks. I'm assuming he was in New York, because, again, that's another melting point, melting pot, if you will, and he's talking about the dynamic of what they went through where um, most Spanish were raised not to date blacks, if you will, and, they were, and, and that dynamic turned into almost an infatuation with getting, a, if you will, a, a, a a Spanish woman, a mommy, as he said in that cut. And so when I heard that cut, it made me realize, well, not made me realize, it made, it reminded me, and I've talked about this on the show before, my, the own psychology that I experienced growing up in the rural South, South Carolina, where um, there's this term that's, that's, that you may have heard when it comes to race, if you will, um, light, bright, and damn near white, and getting into the colorism perspective or whatever, I recall growing up as a young man in my neighborhood, really, really, in a sense, admiring, if you will, light-skinned women, if you will, because we know that the media propagates uh, a particular beauty standard that quite often African-Americans back to 
a point where I do agree with Dr. Umar's on the psychology of what that looks like, um, trying to, in a sense, find yourself. And so when you have this beauty standard that is, in a sense, not of your own based on what's put in the media, there is this chase for acceptance by others. And I remember that experience where it was like um, being part of a town where up until the fifth grade, if you will, the Ku Klux Klan literally marched once a year in my town, if you will, up until my, I think up to my fifth grade year or whatever. So just to give that full context, my generation, if you will, was in a sense the first generation that could intermix dating-wise, definitely frowned upon, still in my town, but I remember the group just ahead of us, you would see women get sent, still still see women get sent away if they were caught, if you will, in a sense, dating. Um, you would even possibly see the Ku Klux Klan take some action, not for our generation, but the generation before us, that was still somewhat of an issue for interracial dating. I'm going all through this to say this. So in the curiosity of being able to, quote, unquote, this is the psychology, to be accepted by white girls, I was a smart kid, the only black in my class or whatever. And so uh, some of the smart white girls took to me, and I liked that. I liked it. I liked it to the extent that my friends that were not in my class, I would, this is in middle school, I literally would hook them up with some of the girls that I was in class with because I was the only black kid in my class all the way to the fourth grade, if you will. And when I would go in, in certain classes, I still would be the only black in my class, if you will. And so due to them liking me or whatever, I literally would hook some of them up with other young guys who had that found had that fascination. Then I always talk about my jump into consciousness was accidentally stumbling, stumbling across the autobiography of Malcolm X. And in there, he talked about his own perspective of not liking his skin, not liking his hair. It's not something that I was necessarily conscious of, but hearing Malcolm talk about that story and how he had an affinity for white girls when, in, you know, before when he was Detroit red and pimping, if you pimping and stealing, if you will. And so his experience resonated with me and it talked about not being able to see the beauty in my own. And so that transformation in a sense made me really, really desire for me that I would end up, if you will, marrying a black woman. So due to my own personal experience, I have dated outside of my race very little, but my own experience with Malcolm in a sense becoming my hero, it helped me reframe what I saw as beautiful and not as that cut said about the Spanish woman, you found a prize. And that is something that is still a psychological phenomenon within our community for some. And I went through that experience. Once I could see the beauty of my goal desire is to marry someone who looks like me, but I had to go through a personal psychological transformation for that to happen. Um, Gina, any thoughts on just hearing me talk about my own journey? I want to hear James' thoughts on that as well. Well, you know, it's interesting how we've been talking about, you know, when the black man, you know, marries or is, you know, dating a white woman and it's looked upon as dating up or marrying up. Uh, the flip side of that, unfortunately, for white women or anybody, you know, white going to marrying or being with anybody who is not white, it's actually viewed as going down or, you know, dating down, marrying down, or, you know, the talk of you're ruined. You know, your own race wouldn't want you back. <laughs> you know, I've heard all of that. 
and I don't, I don't, I disagree with that because I don't see it as a downplay. I don't see it as an. I see it. I, I see it as beautiful. You know, I, it's just my own personal perspective. So there's a, you know, there's the other side of that. Um, and I think too, everybody, like you said, you, you know, um, when it comes to beauty, again, what is, you know, what mainstream America deems beautiful may not be what I think is beautiful either, you know, and I think that's where, again, you have to think for yourself and and what you personally really like and what you personally see as beauty, what you personally see as not. Um, But, uh, you know, it's definitely a, an interesting conversation, seeing it from multiple different sides. And I think it's also important to see that a lot of this is rooted in fear. You know, fear has been something that, you know, they they try to pick in between, you know, fearing this, fearing that. And I think if we can, you know, break those constructs of this fear based on this person and their color or, you know, whatever it may be, I think we can, you know, have more acceptance. And, and, again, personal choice, you know. I, I would never knock anybody for their personal beliefs, but at the same time don't knock mine for me, you know, and I'm not saying anybody here is doing that, but, you know, you get that from the outside or other people looking at you, um, you know. And when you bring up the children, like I've, I've told my, you hey, know, let me, let me, let me do this before we jump to the children, before we jump to that, okay, I'm interested yeah. in hearing James' thought on that train of thought, and then we'll jump to the children, if you will. Um but yeah, James, um, your thoughts. I had to really go on a personal journey to even see Africa is be- beautiful. You know, going back to that Malcolm X um, quote, you know, you can't hate the tree and not hate the root. So my personal level, my personal journey into consciousness made me put, if you will, the black woman on a pedestal to the point where I say the black woman is God, if you will. So I go that far with it. But I didn't start that way. I was fascinated with those white girls in my class and the fact that they liked me, if you will. Again, I didn't dare it again stay in that space because of my conscious, you know, my conscious level or whatever. But I literally had to go through a mental process to get to where I'm talking now. Um, your thoughts on that, King? I think what you were sharing has been done by a lot of black men because the racism of this country it permeates every aspect of our lives. And it's not just what it does to white people. It's also psychological abuse for black people as well. A friend of mine told me about his father who was in World War II, and that was where he first had his opportunity to be with white women. He grew up in the rural South where if you even looked at a white woman, you would be dead. Uh, This man, if he was alive today, would be in his 80s. So he says, son, when I was growing up, the black women had to work so hard. They didn't have time or money for makeup and perfume and jewelry and things of that nature, and they were all very rough-looking, whereas the white women had their hair done, their makeup, their nails, and, and things of that nature. So that was part of the attraction there, too. But generally speaking, because of the society we live in, That's why we have always had to have things like Miss Black America, Miss Teen Black America, the uh, Ebony uh, and Jet Centerfold and things like that, because black women have not been given the opportunity generally in our society to be beautiful and seen beautifully. So I I get exactly what you're saying. So it's like also we got to remember forbidden fruit always tastes best. I have an uncle, and he is married to a white woman, and 
I always thought it was a little fascinating because my family on my mother's side is from Mississippi. And if he was alive today, my uncle would probably be less than 10 years younger than Emmett Hill. And the part of Mississippi we come from is less than 50 miles away from where Emmett Hill was murdered just for looking at a white woman. So, but today he only dates and marries white women, and so does his uh, sons. So I think that goes along with it, too. When I asked my aunt, the closest one in age to him, she said, I think it's an opportunity to have something that was forbidden from him having when we were kids growing up in Mississippi. Uh, we accept these people. They're our relatives and everything of that nature. And, again, like I said, if we were just to step outside of the issue of racism and economics, none of this would even be a conversation. It would be just like Gina is saying, you see someone, the person is nice, you're attracted to them, you share some of the same values, and eventually you do what grown-ups do. You get together and you get married. But that, is, that isn't the issue of policy because we do know behind the scenes there is a war against black people. There is a, issue, there is a systematic oppression against this group of people. So for me, like what you were saying about Malcolm X having to reteach himself to love black people and black women, that would be my question for anyone that chooses to marry over. And she's right. When a white woman dates and marries outside of white men, it is considered by white community to be uh, marrying down. I remember a friend of mine was having a conversation with another white man. The old joke we used to say in the 90s, once you go black, you don't go back. He says, well, you don't know what we say. Once you go black, we don't want you back. <laughs> he was shocked. He never heard that because that's not something white people generally would say in public, but yeah, that's basically what a lot of them would say. I've never, I've never heard it. It actually rhymes. It makes sense. I'm, now that you say it, I'm pretty sure that's a regular common saying, but obviously, like you said, they're not going to put it out publicly in today's time. Because, yeah, but you know, being, that's what they yeah, say in private. And, and and my thing is when you get when you marry outside it's like like she said the black family didn't really reject me we that's just our nature as black people I'm not gonna say go into the spiritual aspects and stuff like that but the white people generally are not gonna accept you my cousin on another side of the family married a white woman back in the 80s he was in the Marines they were both from Kentucky and I remember that when they would come home from Kentucky I asked my cousin who was older than me. Why aren't you staying with your wife? Oh, well, she's staying with her relatives. I said, yeah, but you guys are married, so shouldn't y'all be together? Well, basically, they told me as a Good. child, because Good. I kept on asking. Yeah, that makes sense. They, yeah, we up against the break. They but threatened to burn sense. her house down. They wow. threatened to burn yeah, her yeah, sister's house they, down if he slept in I it. Definitely, yeah, let me, yeah, I can dig it. Let me go to this break. But this is our last break. We'll be right back. You're listening oh, okay. to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Are you intimidated by money? Well, this is a question most people never think to ask themselves. But when forced to think about it, many people realize they have unrecognized fears that truly affect how they deal with money. If you want to learn more about money and the fears that keep you from prosperity, join us for Making Money Matter Monday, where money meets mental health with personal finance coach, Ashley Thomas, and psychotherapist, Dr. Katrina Pitt. Every second Monday of the month, find out if you're intimidated by money and what to do about it. To receive a link to this free Zoom event, Please DM the Making Money Matter or the Mental Dialogue Instagram pages or contact 404 
You may think you know exactly what race you are, but how would you prove it if someone disagreed with you? The fact is, even though race drives a lot of social and political outcomes, race isn't real. One of the first people to attempt to categorize humans according to race was a German scientist around 1776. He came up with five different groups according to physical appearance and geographic origin of their ancestors. Americans of European descent eagerly bought into this type of thinking around the same time. Some historians have said the idea that there were different races helped them resolve the contradiction between a natural right to freedom and the fact of slavery. If whites were their own distinct category, then they could feel a lot better about denying freedom to people who they labeled black and decided were fundamentally different. But as political priorities change, definitions of race in America adjust right along with them. For example, if you were of Mexican birth or ancestry in the United States in 1929, you were considered white. Then, the 1930 census changed that to non-white to limit immigration. Later, when the U.S. needed to increase its labor force during World War II, these people were switched back to white. And what it took to be black once varied so wildly throughout the country, from one quarter to one sixteenth to the infamous one drop of African ancestry, that people could actually change races just by crossing state lines. Then, suddenly, in 2000, the government decided that Americans could be more than one race and added a multiracial category to the census. This has left many Americans scratching their heads when it comes to selecting who they are. As many as 6.2% of census respondents selected some other race in a 2010 survey. The idea that someone might look one way and identify another way, or that they might be really hard to place in a racial category, is not new. This is why there was a public debate about whether MSNBC's Karen Finney could say she was black, or how we can't even agree on the racial label assigned to the President of the United States. Of course, many people feel their racial identity is very clear and very permanent, but the fact that some people have changed theirs and that no one can really argue with them shows how shaky the very idea of race is. This is all because there isn't a race chromosome in our DNA that people can point to. It simply doesn't exist. When the medical community links race to health outcomes, it's really just using race as a substitute for other factors, such as where your ancestors came from or the experiences of people who may have been put in the same racial group as you. Dorothy Roberts explains that sickle cell anemia is a prime example of this. The disease is linked to areas with high rates of malaria, which includes some parts of Europe and Asia in addition to Africa. It's not actually about race at all. This, of course, does not mean that the concept of race isn't hugely important in our lives. The racial categories to which we're assigned can determine real-life experiences, they can drive political outcomes, and they can even make the difference between life and death. But understanding that racial categories are made up can give us an important perspective on where racism came from in the first place. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, race mixing, why do we date slash marry outside of our race? My special guest, Stina Scorza, as well as James Johnson. Uh, we've just been having a lively conversation. Only got 10 minutes to join us. If you want to jump in on the conversation, you can, 646-787-1691. You do have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. But I just play a broad brace comment or cut it just highlights the, some of the history and perspective of race in this country. I also wanted to take the opportunity to share 
uh, from my book, Reeducation of the Negro, and get y'all thoughts on that. But before I do, let me highlight for those that are in Atlanta, next Friday, the Mental Dialogue live experience at Urban Grind. It's not recorded, if you will, but just meeting in live, the smartest event in the city. So if you're in Atlanta, go to mentaldialogue.com and get the update on the live experience this Friday. We're using we're doing the counter argument format for those in Atlanta that know this y'all favorite format where you debate and have teams and we have conversations about race, sex, and culture, if you will. Um, also wanted to highlight a new collaboration. Um, as I always say, um, collaboration is the new black collaboration with Shavy Wines. We are looking to start a book exchange and wine club on September the 23rd, so stay on the lookout for the promotions for that. But getting back into this morning's discussion, race mixing, why do we date and marry outside of our race? I have a piece in the book. Um, for those that know, the book is designed to create these dialogues, so they're quick commentaries to create discussions, and I just thought this was an advantageous piece to add to this morning's discussion, if you will. And this piece is by myself. Um, the pieces are I go by Black Socrates. So Black Socrates speaks, and this one is called Interracial Marriages for the Last Time. Of the black men who are currently married, 76% are married to black women, which means if 40 married black men lined up, 10 of them would not have a black woman by their side. Overall, one in four black women are married, and one in three black men are married. Yet too many are worried about race mixing. Plus, the last I checked, the children would also be considered black in most cases, which is why white supremacy hates race mixing. Shouldn't that also mean, as black people, we agree on anything that white supremacy hates? More importantly, how about we just get married first? Kings, many of us chase manhood, myself included, in misguided ways when the ultimate sign of manhood is being responsible for the well-being of a woman and the children she bears, whether you or otherwise. Queens, can you please stop allowing feminists to tell you not to be defined by your marriage, especially since they would have you believe there is some other position on this earth higher than that of motherhood. Yes, you are just as capable as a man and, and in other areas more capable, but your ability to give life makes a man willingly lay down his life. The black woman is God. To lay down your life for him emasculates him and is out of order. Please know the real power is in the order. Yes, white supremacy is alive and well, but if we bring, if we were to bring things black in order, healthy marriage before children, we would immediately negate 75% of the systemic bullshit, white supremacy, racism, this is out. And if we are magical as we say we are, imagine what we would accomplish with only 25% of the BS left. Just my three cents. All I ask is that you think. James, your response to hearing that short commentary out of my book, Re-Education of the Negro. Now, I think I put you on mute again. Sorry, brother. Just trying to keep that background noise. Oh, all right, brother, your your response to that piece. Well, I was saying I, I agree it's an issue of collective group economics versus what for me and only me. Uh, fair enough. What I what I'll say, and I'll highlight this, you know, I want to hear your thoughts to that cut as well. So the thing that I'm highlighting most, and I guess I say interracial marriage, for, you know, my my thoughts on it for the last time, I'm highlighting the the family structure, one 
one in four sisters, one in three brothers are married. So there's two. There's not enough of us married all together. The reason I don't concern mm-hmm. myself with the the reason I don't concern myself with the interracial part is because the bigger issue is there. We don't have, if you will, enough families. And I feel like the numbers play out that in a, that the, in the event that we were more focused on marriage that the majority of brothers are going to end up with sisters anyway. So the bigger, in my opinion, by far, is the issue of non-marriage versus the the 24% of brothers who will, if you will, date outside the race. So that's something that I'm highlighting in the piece as well. just wanted to share that. Um, Gina, any thoughts just from your perspective of hearing that piece? Again, the pieces are designed to create these dialogues. Obviously, it's an opportunity to to highlight my book, but it obviously was pertinent to today's discussion. Your thoughts? I don't think this country supports family in any way. You know, we're, we're rat racing just to survive. You know, a mother births a baby and she gets a six week maternity leave, if that. So there isn't a lot of support in family structure, no matter what background you come from, unfortunately, in this country. And I think it, no matter what the, you know, races of each person, at least that's how I see it, is if we're going to build families, we have to go back to being able to even, what does that look like? That support just, unfortunately, to survive in this country that isn't supported. In other countries, the woman has, you know, a village and there's, there's, you know, multiple people to step in and help out. You got women having babies by themselves and, you know, so either way, you know, we've got to get back to, you know, respecting the family, no matter what it looks like. And I think that is the key here, you know, whether it's a whole black family, a a multi, you know, racial family, there's no family structure or this, you know, where we are now, we're just going to talk about now, it's, it's very unsupported. And that is probably more a tragedy than anything because we're going to have a bunch of people without that sense. And I think that is even a bigger problem um, no matter where you're from. Yeah, I think we skip over the bigger the issue to, to turn interracial dating and marriage into the issue that we turned into. Area code, we only got a few minutes left. We're going to sneak you in. Area code 404 last three zero five two. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this discussion. We only got a few minutes, so make it quick. Hey, Montoya, it's Ebony. How are you? Hey, how you doing, Queen? What you got for us? Good. I have a lot of feedback for this episode, but I just wanted to call and let you know that I was listening in from the very beginning, and I guess if I get a chance to attend the live, you know, on Friday, you know, we uh, revisit this issue, then I can share my thoughts. But I just wanted to say a quick hello and that, you know, Thank I took so everybody's perspective. No, you I know, appreciate that. Looking forward to seeing you on on Friday at Urban Grind, shout out to Urban Grind, black-owned coffee shop here in Midtown, Atlanta. But thank you for the support, Ebony. Appreciate the call in. Of course. All right. All right Talk to you later. All right, absolutely. All right, James, wonderful show, brother. We've got a couple of minutes. So I'll just um, let you, um, if you could give, a, you want to give him a quick final thought, just make it real quick. I don't know if you have any public information you want to share, but please do. And I definitely want to uh, let Gina do that because she has a business, so I want to make sure she gets her stuff out there as well. Um, so just a real quick final thought and any public information. Got you. Um, basically, I want to preface that I do not hold any ill will towards anybody. Uh, I do have my own personal opinions. And I think I said in the beginning, no one has the right to tell you who you can and cannot marry, regardless of race. 
Um, I don't uh, necessarily agree with it, but I will respect it and honor it regardless. And my whole preference is about what I believe personally and from research and other people think is best now, for sure. the uplifting of the black people. I got to make sure I get that Gina get a closer thought. We only got a minute. Um, so, yeah, any public information, but now that makes sense, brother. Appreciate you. Uh, yes, uh, you know, thank you for having me. And, and, and from this point of view, I'm, I, I love this discussion. I think it's a beautiful thing to have. And, you know, we could definitely revisit because I think we could keep going for sure. Um, but if you want to check out what I do, I have a, a topical magnesium skincare line at moonglowminerals.com. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for our health, and getting it into your body can change your life. So thank you, Montoya. Thank you, James, and everybody else. This was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Um, for anybody that's on the phone line, you will catch that. Um, I'm going to play a little closing cut from a, a show we used to do called Just My Three Cents. So we're going to close the show with that. Let's hopefully see you all in Atlanta at the live experience on the 15th. And see y'all next Saturday on the show. We'll be right back. We'll see y'all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. In the very beginning, we don't allow for enough diversity of thought because all groups are diverse. No group is monolithic. Exactly. We have a concept because, unfortunately, being on the bad experience and the oppressed end Mm -hmm. of how America created itself, when, in a sense, race is the backbone, unfortunately, that created this country. You know, there was the genocide of the Native Americans and then the enslavement of us. That is still the backbone, and it systematically has played out to the point where most of us, one, don't know that it's a construct, and, right. two, and two, if the world is going global and moving off of it, we're mm-hmm. staying stuck over here and still, remember, you know, we talked about this on some of the shows, silly stuff such as, you know, you being smart was looked up down upon because of our own hurt and own trauma. That exactly. So we're stuck in this construct of whether you're black enough or not. And this is a this is some made up shit. That, exactly. It's the same kind. Like, like, bro, you hit it on the head so much because what it does is it simpletons you. It simp it simplifies you. So now what you're doing is every debate, every issue. Every question, every offense, You're everything is under the guise is under the guise of race, and so it's easy to debate. It's easy to it's it's easy. So what it does is it makes you it makes it easy for the opposition to go, bro. Why is everything race with you? Why is it the race card with you? Everything is the race card with you, right? What is what's going like? And you hear this all the time. And, but the, but here's the deal. No matter what the issue is, right, 60 to 70% of the time, what are we going to fall back on? Race. The construct. Oh, the construct. And, and let me say this, and I'm going to end this thing. I'm okay. going to say this. Okay. Because uh, here's the flip side of what you're talking about is when a Magic Johnson or somebody goes up, expires into business, starts making key relationships, you know, who Magic, we know Magic Johnson is very committed to our community, but right. I tell you, in Lansing, Michigan, I know from a friend, they don't necessarily feel that way in Lansing, Michigan, right. because of the viewpoint that you and I are talking about now. And right. so what happens is all other groups have the freedom to expand and diversify as necessary to get their hands on as much resources as possible. We have a 
because we see it through this lens bro. of a certain way that it's supposed to happen. And That's if it, it don't, we'll throw somebody who's actually committed to us yes. in the best way that they can. We'll start throwing them under the bus because of this lens. We throw them away. That's a made-up construct from the very beginning. 100%.